So um, I was uh, listening to NPR this morning, and they had a, a thing on um, the Racial Justice Act in North Carolina, and it was the Senate sort of passed it, but then the governor vetoed it, and, uh, and then the Senate overrode the veto. But the whole uh, point of the Racial Justice Act was um, giving um, people who have been convicted of a crime an opportunity to use statistical evidence um, to show that there is discrimination in their case and how they were tried. And so um, here's just a, a quick, um, the, the quick clip from um, NPR that talks about this that I thought was relevant. The senators also overrode the governor's veto of a bill that would water down the Racial Justice Act. The act allows death row prisoners to appeal their sentences using statistical evidence to show discrimination. And lawmakers overturned so, that's just a quick uh, the thing that I thought was interesting is that um, in law, in criminology, um, in different fields, people are using statistical evidence more and more because in the past you could sort of claim, well, hey, there's been discrimination, and so I've been uh, tried unfairly. Uh, but now there's a way, they're, they're doing this more and more of incorporating statistical evidence to kind of show empirically that discrimination has occurred. So, um, again, another example of, of relevance to our field. Um, and then we'll get started. And I guess I'll, I'll start um, just by seeing if there's any questions about the assignment. Did you have your assignment? Okay. Okay, that's fine. Are you guys um, getting the emails uh, through Sakai? Or at least the messages from me? Did you get the message? Um, I mean, I looked on it, and I, like, I should have went on it later on in the afternoon because I didn't know it was an Okay. I went on it like at 12 or 11 or anything. Okay. And I didn't get that. Do you get the email? Uh, probably the main, somebody, I think I send them through Sakai and then who has gotten the emails? Okay. I mean, you I'm, haven't gotten, I'm, I'm pretty sure I probably got it. I just didn't like go back on okay. the computer and check the Okay. So. Cool. And sorry about the um, confusing question with no data set and no uh, code book, but. I assume you guys could figure it out. Um, did you have any questions about the assignment, um, uh, specifically or even generally? Very good. Um, so uh, today we're going to be talking about collecting data, um, and, and the focus being on sampling. Uh, do you guys go to Costco? OK, so uh, I love. <laughs> I'm going to use my kids a lot, but I love going to Costco on Saturday around noon with my kids. Any idea why? Exactly. <laughs> Almost every aisle has samples. And um, so this is related. Uh, if, you, if you want to get a sense of what Costco has as, as, a, as a store, you go and you sample the samples. And we're very good at sampling the samples. Um, because you can't get a, a sense, uh, it, it'd be too overwhelming to, to sort of in, uh, itemize everything that Costco has. So you go and you sample, and then that gives you a sense, OK, here's the different types of products that Costco carries. And so in the same way with collecting data on any type of population, you sample, although it's not as fun as the sampling at Costco. Um, so what, what we distinguish between is a, a population versus a sample. And so the population, whenever they, whenever they talk about a population, 
Uh, they're, they're talking about all the individuals or objects of interest um, that you're interested in. So, I mean, we most commonly hear about like the U.S. population, um, but populations um, can be other sort of other uh, bound units um, that you're interested in. Um, so a, a population could be um, uh, all prisoners in the U.S., or a population could be um, all nonprofit organizations um, in the state of North Carolina. So, um, so population is, is ultimately the thing that we're interested in. We're wanting to sort of make claims about uh, different populations. Uh, now, a sample uh, is, is all the cases that we've collected data on. Um, and it's, it's typically a subset of the population. So we have the big population that we're interested in, and then the sample is sort of what we extract from that population to sort of um, to understand what's going on in the bigger picture. And so then the, the key mechanism here is uh, statistical inference. And it's, it's basically the process of using data gathered from the sample um, to gain information about the whole population. Um, so so kind of like the, the, the big picture, if you want to look at it more visually, is we have this population uh, that we're interested in. And it could be all types of populations. And then we pull a sample from it because it would be unreasonable and probably um, not economically feasible to do the whole population. So you take a sample. Um, and this is known as sampling. But this is actually much more difficult than you would think, this, this idea of getting a sample. Um, but then ultimately, we then gather information about this sample, and then we can make inferences about the larger population. So um, what are some reasons uh, why researchers would gather data from a sample of the population rather than gathering data on the entire population? Too big of a number, okay. Any others, Britain? Just wait, Britain. Um, I was just like, a lot of samples are being surveyed, so people just don't know enough. They don't have time. Like, it's impossible to ask every single. Okay. Looking at the United States population, it's impossible to ask every single person. To get every person, yeah. Economically and statistically. Yep. Very good. Take way too long. Take way too long, exactly. Although what's interesting is uh, the census is a unique, uh, or, or fairly unique, in that they actually do count every person. Now, they have like sort of the short form that everyone fills out, and then the long form that only goes to a, a subset of the population. But uh, there are times when, when you can do a census or when it's you want to do a census. But in general, um, it's just all around better, uh, more efficient to get a sample. And ultimately, we can get the same results or the same answers by looking at the sample. And that's sort of what this statistics is, or what statistical inference is, is sort of how you can take information from a sample to project it out onto the whole population. Um, so then, the, but there's problems with sampling. Um, and so um, here, here's an example. Um, how many of you remember the 2000 election? So, uh, so Florida was an interesting state. Uh, on the news, um, at 8 p.m., they said, Gore takes Florida. And then about, uh, let's see, six hours later, they changed their mind. And they said, no, Bush takes Florida. 
And then for another month and a half, they went back and forth trying to figure it out. But what was interesting is at 8 p.m. and at 2 a.m., not all the votes have been counted. And so they were sort of taking a, a sample of votes uh, uh, casted and sort of projecting out who, who the winner would be. Now, if you were watching the news that night, you just saw tons of bantering going back and forth. And I'm going to show you a clip um, from one of the guys who was sort of uh, uh, talking about the, the errors with this projection. What I want you to do, though, is listen to the different um, problems or challenges with taking a sample and using that sample to project out to the total population. Everybody goes down, everybody comes from somewhere else in the Caribbean, goes to there, at the Rio, and it is kind of a kaleidoscopic state. I still go back to this thing I did with Pat Cadell. How in God's earth do you project when you're only halfway through a game? Who's going to win the whole game when you're dealing with Cuban Americans, Caribbean Americans, Haitians, you're dealing with Dominicans, you're dealing with snowbirds from Minnesota moved down south, you've got New Yorkers living in the Gulf Coast. How do you do it? How do you project a state like that? Paul, I'll give you a break. I, I, How do you project a state like that with Hampton Return Center? Well, I'm sure they have models to do it. There's not the absentee process. I've spent 16 years of my life affecting elections, not predicting them. Nobody paid me to predict an election. Right now, they pay a Okay, so um, just in that short clip, what are some potential uh, sampling biases or problems with sampling that you heard or picked up on? So they're talking about the variety of different people who live in Florida. Mm -hmm. They tend to be really scattered voters. So uh -huh. they only take one precinct. They don't really think that they're more likely to be from maybe they're New Yorkers who moved down if it's a heavily retirement community uh -huh. or even just like the age difference in Florida with people who moved down there. So you, it's really hard to just take part to get into it. Okay. And then they also mention the absentee ballots, which is the same problem. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Exactly. Any others that you guys heard? What did you say? Don't remember. Don't remember. You were there. You live in that no. state. No. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> Any other things that were mentioned that, that you could see being... What about the comment where you said, um, how can you project the outcome when you're only 50% of the way through the game? Is that a, a valid concern? Or is, do you think it's possible? To, if you only have 50% of the votes collected, could you um, make an estimate, a, a pretty strong, convincing estimate? Yeah. It depends on the situation. Okay. Like, he used the analogy of the game. Mm -hmm. like, sometimes you know you're going to win the game halfway through, so it just depends. Like, uh -huh. some, some states you're going to be able to predict right now who's going to win, and you're going to be right. So yeah. If, but in, like, Florida, you need to probably not, because it could, it could go some different ways. Uh -huh. So in, in what situation, and probably a game is, is, is a harder one to predict the outcome, um, but let's say with votes, if you, if you let's say there's 100,000 votes and you've already counted um, 50,000 of them, uh, do, you think, do you think it's possible to just stop right there and say with almost absolute certainty, 
uh, who the winner would be. Do you think that's possible? Uh huh. Yeah. So if if the, the difference in let's say there's candidate A and candidate B, if candidate A has a really high proportion of those fifty thousand, and candidate B has few, it's almost like impossible for candidate B to catch up, um, um, because you know candidate B is not going to get all of the other fifty thousand votes or whatever. Um, and actually, if you if you watch any type of election, it's it's phenomenal, and it's, you can probably see it most uh, vividly in those situations where it's it's like 4 p.m. and and probably 38 percent of the votes are counted, and they've already called the election. And you're kind of like, well, how, how how can they do that? I mean, there's still more votes out there than the ones that they've counted. So how would they know? Well, this is where um, one where statistics comes in, but also more importantly what's the sample that they're looking at? And so that's sort of what we're going to be talking about today, is how you can, with a very, very small sample, sort of project what the, the whole population, the direction the whole population is going to go in. Um, but before we do that, we're going to talk about different potential sampling bias, um, which can throw this off. If you have the wrong sample or, or a bad sample, then you can't make any type of projections. Um, so sampling bias occurs when, when your, your sample basically doesn't reflect the population. Like it's skewed in some direction, and it's just not a, 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 a clear reflection of the population. Um, we already covered this. In what ways could the, sam could the sample have been biased in the projected Florida elections? Um, they might have only uh, been looking at a few precincts, and those precincts were maybe dominated by Cuban-Americans. And so, and Cuban-Americans were more inclined to vote Democrat, and they weren't um, pulling from precincts that were high numbers of retirees who would be inclined to vote Republican. Or um, they didn't even have information on a huge population of absentee ballot people. So when they're trying to project for the whole state, you need to make sure that your sample includes all the potential participants. And so the absentee ballot people weren't even included in their estimations. Um, so ultimately, if sampling bias exists, uh, we can't make accurate inferences about the population. So we can make inferences, but they're not going to be accurate. And that's really what we want is accurate inferences. Um, so and inferences, again, it's one of these terms that you're going to hear a lot. It's not one that you use in everyday language, but it's basically what can we infer, or what can we sort of uh, conclude about the population based on this information? So whenever they, I mean, you're going to hear inference a lot. Um, and it's basically like, well, what can we infer? What can we know as a result of this information? Um, so you have population, and that's usually uh, signified with a capital N. And capital N is um, in reference to the number in the population. So, uh, and then, then through sampling, you, you gather a smaller sample, which is little n. And so little n is sort of the size of your sample. Um, and so these are important distinctions. Po large n is the total number of people in the population. Small n is the, the number of people in your sample. Um, and so the goal is to select the sample that resembles the population 
but is smaller. Because technically in Florida, they could have went to every single person and say, how did you vote? Or actually, they could have just looked at the ballots and counted every ballot, but they wouldn't know until uh, a couple of days later. In fact, it was a month and a half later after they did count every single ballot. Um, so um, let's say we're, we're sampling, uh, we're doing a study, and we want to know what proportion of Duke students took a course during summer session. So you think of um, what, what is our, our population that we're in, in this study, what's the population that we're interested in? Duke students, okay? And so you got that. Uh, in what ways, um, so we, we want to know about all Duke students, um, but we don't have the money or the time to ask every single Duke student. So we're going to take a sample, and we're going to, from that sample, sort of project out and make an inference about the whole population. So in what ways would the sample be biased if the sample was um, every student in this class? So say, you know, I want to know all, all Duke students, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask these guys. How would it be biased? Okay. Okay, that's a good one. What what are other um, ways in which you'd be biased? Well, what are you asking? Are you asking it now or right here? Uh huh. So that's you know, that's you'd be biased that way. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. You actually are all in summer session. So I, I if I did my study, I would say, oh my goodness, I, I took a sample of Duke students, and every single one of them was taking summer session classes. It's amazing. Every Duke student takes summer session classes, or at least all the ones I talked to <laughs> did. So. Um, a little bit more tricky, and I, and I think um, Brittany touched on this. What if I asked every student who's an athlete? So I said, okay, yeah, you're right. I shouldn't ask people in my summer session class uh, if they're taking, you know, use that as my sample. But what if I said, okay, well, I have good access to the athletic department, and so I'm just going to go throughout the athletic department, look at every team roster, and basically ask, is this person taking summer session? Um, in what ways would, would the sample be biased? Okay. Okay. So even though not all athletes are taking summer session, um, there's there's a higher proportion, or they're more likely to. Okay. Um, so what if I did this? What if I said, okay, well I'm just going to look at the the roster for the sociology department, um, and use that as my sample. Would that be uh, uh, reflective of all Duke students, or would that have bias in it? We need some other other people engaging. Great. Well, because you're only asking like one major. Uh huh. So it wouldn't reflect every, and maybe like some classes aren't offered. Okay. In the summer, so they wouldn't stay. Okay. Sociology is more likely to be offered in the summer. Okay. Yeah. So of these, say say I was limited to these three, which um which sample would um be the least biased? Why? So like, cause I mean, I said usually like, like I said, athlete forced into it. I mean, a sociology department, it's more not all, not everyone's athletes. There's all kinds of students. Yeah. So, so it is a it is, and it's also a small sample of like the Duke population. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not necessarily the best sample, but it's it's more uh, reflective of of the whole population, um, especially compared to if I just sampled this class. So um, let's see. Okay, so what would be a good sample to use in order to make inferences about all Duke students? How, what, what would you guys recommend? If I sort of gave you this problem and I said, I want to know what proportion take 
uh, summer session. I'm not going to let you count every single student. How would you get a sample? Where, where would you pull your sample from? Do you do like a freshman, almost like a second semester freshman seminar where there's like, I mean, a big ah. one that has like 150 students of whatever yeah. kind? Yeah, 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 yeah. That'd be, that'd be a great one. And then you could sort of say, okay, this, in this freshman seminar, is it every freshman, we'll say every freshman has to take this seminar, and so they're all in there, and so then um, you could just ask the people in there, um, are you taking summer session or did you? So, so yeah, I mean, that, and that's the sense. It's sort of thinking through... How can we sort of pull a, a subset of the population that is reflective of the entire population? And it's a lot harder than you think. Um, and so, um, the the main, the probably the best way to do it is uh, is to take a random sample, um, just randomly select people. Uh, so randomly select Duke students. Um, so we can avoid sampling bias by taking a random sample. Um, and so the, the way a random sample works is imagine putting the name of every Duke student into a hat and then drawing out the names at random uh, to form a sample. So it's just like pulling the name out of the hat. And um, there's, uh, okay, so this is, this is an example of a random sample that was done with the 2008 election. So it says Gallup poll. How many of you heard of Gallup poll? They do sort of public opinion uh, research on, on a wide variety of things, but a lot of things they do is with, with elections. Um, so they took a random sample of 2,847 Americans, and it says 52% of those sampled supported Obama. So when they did a random sample, they sort of have a list of all the names of people in the US, and they randomly select 2,847 people. So in the actual election, says 53% of Americans voted for Obama. So what, what's amazing to me is that they, they estimated from 2,800 people that 52% supported were going to vote for Obama. And in the outcome, when they, all the numbers were tallied, 53%. So that's a pretty good estimation based on a really small number. In fact, 2847 uh, is 1,000,000 of 1% of the US population. So the US population is 330 million people. And by sampling, randomly sampling 2,800 people, they were able to sort of project out or make an inference about the entire population. And so it's much more cost effective um, to just ask 2,847 people than it would be every time they want to know a public opinion to ask 330 million people. So. Um, it's an efficient, powerful tool, and what we're going to look at is sort of how do you do random sampling? Because if you just do, you know, if Gallup would have went out on the street and asked, asked um, all the people in Durham who they're going to vote for, that's not a random sample. Even though Durham has a lot of diversity, it's not, it's not reflective of the whole population. So selecting a random sample, and this is what we're going to be sort of thinking about, as we're thinking about the sample that we're looking at, um, there's two options. One is to draw the names out of a hat. Um, and option two, um, which is just sort of a simple way of doing it, is generate random numbers. Um, so you, you number every student, or you basically take um, the, uh, the Duke ID, 
and you, you assign it a number, and then you generate random numbers to decide what numbers, what units get sampled. Um, and I'm going to show you, this is just kind of a, a funny um, application. So this is a, a random number generator. Like if I, if, if, um, I said, I want you to pick, I have uh, uh, numbers 1 through uh, 100, and I want uh, 1 through 10,000, I want you to pick 100 random numbers. It's kind of actually difficult. You're like, well, I don't know. How do I pick a random number? Or what's a random number? Um, there's programs out there that basically you input sort of, here's the total population, and we want to do a random sampling of a subset of that. And so let's say um, our population, how many Duke students are there? Do you guys know? Undergrads? 6,000? We'll say 6,000. And then, um, and we want a sample of, let's say, 60. So let's assume of these 6,000 Duke students, um, we give everyone a number. And so, in a sense, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and all the way through to 6,000. Everyone has a number assigned to their name, and we want a random sampling of these 6,000, and we want a, a sample of 60 people. Um, so then you just sort of plug in these numbers, and then we'd say, okay, here's the randomly generated sample. Um, and so then what I would do is I'd go with the first number, 5457, five, and I'd look on my roster and I'd be like, okay, this person's in the study. And then 5722, two, look at my roster say, okay, this person's in the study. And so this is um, completely randomly selected people. There's no, I'm not going to the athletic department, I'm not going to the sociology department, I'm just taking the entire population and randomly sampling them. And so why, why would this uh, be important, doing it this way versus sort of um, even what, what Chris had said of going to the freshman seminar. Why would, why would this way sort of be more pure of a random sample? Is it, it going to be like everybody? Not uh -huh. just like freshman class, will be freshmen or seniors? Uh-huh. Yeah. And, and it sort of, it takes out, uh, I'll say, uh, human biases. Like, it, it's kind of interesting. Even if we walk into a room and, and, and I ask you to randomly uh, select 10 people, there'll probably be some bias in your selection, almost like a subconscious bias to the, to the people that you pick. You might be overcompensating, saying, oh, well, um, women tend to be underrepresented in these type of studies, so I'm subconsciously going to be sort of making sure to pick more women. Or, wow, the tall people just seem to stand out, and so um, they get noticed more, and so we pick them. So. This sort of eliminates all types of human biases or human um, tendencies to be biased in, in selecting a sample. Um, so then if we... So, um, so in, in statistically, why this is important um, is that random samples uh, provide averages that are centered around the correct number. Um, so. Uh, I guess if, if we look at the, the proportion of students who take summer session, um, if, if we took, if we did a non-random sample, like if we took this classroom, what, what proportion of students um, take summer session classes? 
Like if, if the sample was just this, this class, what, what proportion takes summer session? So 100% take summer session. And so, and do you think that's the correct proportion of students that take summer session? Okay, so it's, it's not, um, the, the, the average is not centered around the correct number. It's actually skewed way over to one, whereas the correct proportion, let's say the correct proportion is around 20% of students. And so, um, and if we, did, if we did athletes, if say our sample was, was athletes, what, what proportion, just roughly, what proportion of athletes do you think take summer session? Okay, so 90% in football, and so let's, let's just make, a, we'll say like 80% of, of athletes take summer sessions. So the, let's say the correct number of Duke students is 20%. In this classroom, if we just use the classroom as a sample, it would be centered, it would be at one. If we did just athletes, it would be centered around 80%, which isn't centered around the correct number. And so what if we did... Um, what if we did it through this random sampling where we just randomly picked uh, 60 Duke students? It's going to be centered right around 20%. The proportion you say, yes, I'm taking summer session classes is going to be right around 20%. And so this is important that we're ultimately interested in the correct number. Um, but we're, we're getting that number by looking at a sample. And if we have a random sample, it's going to be centered around that correct number. It's not going to be exact because we're only looking at 60 students versus 6,000, but it's going to be close. It's going to be within that range. Um, and then, uh, so then the random samples allows you to make the best estimate about the population. It's not going to be exact, but it's going to be much better than a non-random sample, like if we take this class or we take the athletic department. Um, and so non-random samples uh, suffer from sampling bias, and the averages are likely not to be centered uh, around the correct number. And so, um, so when I say averages, it's sort of like whatever it is that whatever um, variable we're interested in, when we, and it's a, if it's a quantitative variable, we sort of look at the average value for that variable. So with, with um, taking summer session, it's either yes or no, and so we want to know the proportion that are taking summer session. And that's sort of the, the thing that we're interested in knowing. And so we can best estimate that if it's a random sample. Okay, so jelly beans. This is a maybe easier, more intuitive. Think of a bowl of jelly beans. So bright and colorful and you're kind of like, what, what is, um, in, in fact, think of it like a huge vat of jelly beans, just tons and tons of jelly beans. And you're really interested, and it's a population of jelly beans, and um, and we want to sort of take a sample of these jelly beans, um, and so um, the sample is just sort of reaching in and grabbing, just grabbing, and one way to do it is uh, to grab non-randomly into the bowl and to sort of pull out a sample, and if you're like my son, you grab all the black jelly beans, and then you're, you have a handful of black jelly beans. Now, is that um, that sample 
which is a legitimate sample. He pulled out 10 jelly beans, and is, but that's a biased sample. It's not reflective of the entire population. Um, so what would be a, a better way uh, to take a random sample of the bowl of jelly beans? What could I do to my son to make sure he gets a, a good random sample? OK, close his eyes. Put blindfold on him. And um, look at that. Perfect. Look at that. Close his eyes. Um, and so basically, then, if you reach in with your eyes closed and pull out, you're going to get a, um, a random sample. It's not going to be biased like having all black jelly beans. But the thing that, um, that's interesting, even when you, you do things like that, there's still potential for error in that what if, uh, for some reason, the red jelly beans are, are heavier than the, um, than the other jelly beans? They're going to sink to the bottom, and they're going to be less likely to be chosen. Or what if uh, some of the jelly beans are, are sticky, and they stick together, and so they're going to kind of clump together, and they're going to come out more easily than the other ones. And so there's, and that can, you can think of human analogies to that, where um, certain uh, people groups cluster together, and so if you sort of go into a population and try and randomly sample, you might not actually get a random sample. Um, so that's where literally this, the random number generator is probably the most commonly used thing, because it's just, it's a pure, purely random selection. And so whatever your population is, you assign them a number, you go to that little computer program or other ones and just say, okay, give me 60 random numbers and that's how I'm going to pick it. Versus trying to think of some scheme of how to do it and try and be as unbiased as possible because you'll end up being biased in some way. Um, so in, in the reason why this is important is when you look at statistical claims, one of the big questions you need to ask people is, well, who was sampled? And how was that sample uh, generated? Because that will give you a lot of insight into, is this a, is this a, uh, a robust claim, or is it sort of, uh, um, does it have problems because of who was asked? Um, let's see. These methods generate a simple random sample. Um, so yeah, uh, basically each unit of the population has the same chance of being selected. So that's sort of the idea, is that um, everyone has, a, has an equal chance of being selected. Um, so moving on to uh, sampling challenges. Um, so while a, a random sample is ideal, um, that would be the, the best case scenario. It's not always feasible. Um, so a list of the entire population might not be available. So an example would be, um, one of the things I study is uh, churches in the U.S. And um, there is no sort of um, list of all the churches in the U.S. Like, can, can anyone think, you could probably help me with this. How could I get a list of all the churches in the U.S.? What would be a way to do it? Um, most churches have, like, hierarchy. So if you, like, if you're Catholic churches, you don't have a list of all the Catholic churches. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and that's 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 a great thing. So, um, and that's that's a, a pathway that we went down was okay. Well, let's just go to all the sort of national governing bodies of these denominations and ask them for a list. And actually, we got quite a few. But then someone said, "Well, wait. There's there's some non-denominational churches or unaffiliated churches." 
And um, in order to sort of take a true random sample, you need to make sure that you have the whole population. Um, what's another way that we could maybe um, sort of cross-check and make sure we have the entire population? So we went through denominations. What's another way we could um, sort of get the population of churches? Google, yeah. So we could so we could do a search, and that's actually the, the next thing that we did was we just Googled churches and got all these churches, um, but some were not in that. What? Yeah. So there's some churches out there that are not online. So even though Google would be good, we in order to take a truly random sample of the entire population, you need to know everyone that's in the population. So with Duke students, it's easy because you kind of know. But as you sort of go out to bigger studies, um, it's not always easy to have the entire population or a list of the entire population. And even some great ideas of what both of you had are really good, but they only get 90%. And so when we would do our study, it would, it would leave out the characteristics of churches that are non-denominational or that are lower income and don't have a web presence. And so our, our, our study wouldn't really be, in fact, our study would say 100% of congregations have uh, a website. And you go, wait, why, that doesn't seem right. And then you'd ask, who did I sample? I said, well, we, we sampled every church that had a website. <laughs> so then, so that's where you see problems with with studies if, you, if you're not sampling from the entire population or taking a random sample. Um, another one, uh, it may be too difficult to contact all the members of the population. So let's think of, uh, say we're wanting to do a, a polling of all um, people in the U.S. What are, what are um, some members of the U.S. population that might be difficult to contact? Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, if you wanted to make sure that Amish were represented in the study, or at least had the potential to be in it, um, you'd have to maybe go to their house, put forth extra effort. So yeah, that's a good one. Any others that you guys can think of? What do you say? Uh-huh. So people that are in, in rural areas would be more difficult. Um, uh, my uh, four-year-old son, he's not difficult to contact, but it might, um, might not be uh, the best person to include in the study because um, if we're interested in income and, and things of that nature, um, I might say, well, okay, yes, we're interested in the entire U.S. population, but let's say everyone that's at least 18 years old. Uh, because the people under 18, for legal reasons and, and other reasons, it, it might just be difficult to pull them away for an hour and say, can you do this survey? Um, other populations would be uh, people in prison. Um, you don't have access to them, or as much access to involve them in studies. And so you'll notice a lot of times with, with surveys, they'll say, um, this is a, a study of the US population of all people who are non-institutionalized or not 
in like a prison or some other institution that prohibits them from being accessed. And so that's the reason why they'll include that. Um, so as I was saying, sometimes your population might need to be altered. Um, so like if we were, um, again, let's say Duke students in summer session, we might say all Duke students who are not studying abroad, you know, because like we don't want to spend the money or time to get, get in touch with the study abroad students. So, so basically, you need to define your population in, in a reasonable way and then sample from that population. So you might initially want to know um, about every Duke student, but you're like, uh, it's, it's too hard to maybe get that um, population listed. So let's just say um, the ones that are studying in the US at Duke. Um, and then you can only make inferences about the population that you sort of circumscribe. Um, so, so then there's this, this idea of, of quasi-random sampling. And again, this is all sort of, you had this large population, you want to take a subset of the population. Um, and so we're doing a study uh, where we want to estimate the average number of hours that Duke students spend <coughs> studying each week. And so, um, let's see. So what are the potential problems associated with the proposed sampling technique? Um, so we, we, we don't have, let's say, the money to do this random number generator thing and, um, because we're just going to go out and do it. And so we say, okay, we want to know the average number of hours that Duke students spend studying each week. Um, and so we say, let's go to Perkins Library and ask all the students there how much they study. What are the potential problems associated with this sampling process? What do you say? Okay. Um, but but there's, a lot, there's enough people in the library, like say we need 60 people, and so there's 60 people in the library, um, and, and we want to know, know about the whole Duke student population. What would be a potential problem? Yes? Um, the library is physically where people study, so most people are either in the library or the studying. Ah, okay. And so why is that a problem? Okay, so let's let's say that the um, the correct number, the true number of average hours that, that Duke students study is um, is ten hours a week. Um, but if we we went into the library and sampled sixty people, what do you think um, would be the average number of hours represented by that sample? If ten hours is sort of the population average. What would be, what do you, just a rough estimate? Okay. Yeah. So, in a sense, the, the true number uh, is 10 hours, but if we, we sampled students in the Duke Library, let's say the, the average would be 20 hours. And so it wouldn't, the average of the sample wouldn't be centered around the mean. And this, this is an important point that if, if your sort of estimate is way over here and skewed, you can't make a, a good inference about what the true number is. Um, and so, uh, so and basically the concept behind this is sampling units based on something related to the variables you're analyzing. So if you're sampling, if you want to know about our studying and you go into the library and ask those people, um, just as Chelsea said, it's, it's, uh, it's going to be skewed towards the thing that you're trying to measure. Um, okay, here's a, a, maybe a trickier one. 
Um, you email all Duke students and ask them how much they study and use all the data you get. So somehow you get access to uh, the universal email and basically you just spam everybody and say, quick question, how many hours do you study each week? What's uh, a potential problem with this sampling technique? It goes to every student. Yeah. Could be because people are studying more always on their computers more often. Could be that. Okay. Maybe checking emails more often than someone who doesn't. Yeah. Yep. That's good. So, so I mean, there's even though I mean at first I was like, oh yeah, perfect, beautiful. I've solved my problem. I'm just going to send it out, and and it's going to be random who replies back. But then Chris comes up to me and says, uh. Yeah, but what about the people who just sort of sit on their computer all the time? It could go the other direction. It could be people are procrastinating and not studying, and they say, oh, I'll, I'll respond to this email. or you know. So there's, there's problems um, when you let your sample be comprised of, of, volunteer, of um, whoever chooses to participate. It's called like a volu volunteer bias. And, and again, um, these might be more obvious examples, but as we sort of analyze or critique studies or, or research that we look at, it's an important question to ask of well, where did you get your sample from? And a lot of times um, people will, will do convenient samples, like what, what's easiest, and so then it won't be, um, it just, it, the results, you can't trust them as much because the sample that they're using to make inference about the population is not representative. Um, even though they have statistical evidence and they show you all these uh, figures. If their sample isn't reflective of the population, it's not something you can trust. Um, so we have population, we have sample, there's sampling bias, and then from our sample we gather data, but there's also other forms of bias. And so ultimately what we're, what we're trying to do is to get data about the sample that basically reflects the whole population. But there's a lot of steps involved to make sure that, that our data um, doesn't, isn't, doesn't have biases in it. And biases is just like what Chelsea said. If you ask people in the library how much you study, the, aver the, the data that we gather, uh, the average value is going to be skewed in this direction. And so then you're not going to, you won't be able, you can't, you can't say anything with confidence about the average number of hours students do the study. So other forms of bias. Um, so even with random sample, data can still be biased. Um, and so, let's see. Okay, so pretty intuitive that, that, that if it's biased, it's not going to reflect the population. Um, so the, the forms of bias include, um, so if the people, uh, so non-response is one form of bias. And it's sort of like what, what Chris was alluding to. Um, if the people who respond to the survey tend to answer differently than the people who do not respond, the responses will be biased. And so, um, so I might say, uh, let's let's think of an example. Um, okay, so I want to know um, how many uh, Duke students are in a significant uh, relationship. And so I, I I pull my sample. I actually get a random sample. And, uh, and I, I have 100 students that I've sampled. And I ask, um, one of the questions is, are you in a significant relationship? And um, let's say that, that the, the people who, um, 
are not dating or, or have just broken up are like, uh, I don't want to answer that question. And so they leave it blank. But all the people who are dating um, are excited about the relationship. And they're like, oh, yes, I'm in a relationship. And so then uh, you're going to have uh, the non-responses is we don't have any information on, but we have information on the 50, in a sense, who are dating. And so and all of them say yes. It's going to look like 100% or a larger proportion of students are dating than really are. And it's basically because um, there was something about the question, about the people who responded, that was different from the people who didn't respond. And so um, one of the things that, that, you'll, that studies report is what was the response rate? And if the response rate is, is low, like if only 50% of the people responded, you're like, well, we have no idea about the other 50%. And so we can't really make strong claims based on this data because we took a random sample, but only 50% of those people responded. And so we don't really know about this other 50%. Are there things about that other 50% that um, would sort of sway uh, the response that we're interested in? Um, oh, yeah. So one of the examples would be, uh, what is your income level? So that's a common question on, on surveys, is what's your income level? And that's probably one of the, the questions that has um, the highest number of non-responses. And so what, um, what would be characteristics of people who don't respond um, that would maybe affect, that would relate to their income level? What type of person would maybe not respond to that question? Okay. So someone who, who doesn't have much income or any income? Ah, good, good. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, um, uh, or even people who, who are uber wealthy are kind of like, uh, I don't really want to disclose that. Um, so w what you actually find is, is on both ends of the spectrum is that perhaps the, the super wealthy and the super poor um, put no response. And so then the data that we have sort of it, it's, will center around the average income, but what we will miss is the values we are here. So if we want to know what the maximum income level in our sample is, we're not going to know it because there's a good chance that that person didn't respond. Um, so um, oh, here, here's an interesting one. They, uh, if you go to a restaurant, sometimes these days they'll, um, they'll send you an email um, afterwards saying, hey, please rate your experience at the restaurant. And they, they send it out to all the people who came um, just to get a, a sense of how, how well they're doing. What, are, um, what type of um, problems would you see with this? Well, I mean, usually the people that are responding to someone who had a really good thing or a really bad thing. Uh -huh. it's, it's okay. Exactly, exactly. So, so, you know, the managers are going to be kind of confused because they're going to be like, oh, my gosh, like, we're schizophrenic as a restaurant. Like, some people just love us and are off the charts. There's no one in the middle. And then there's a bunch of people who hate us. And, like, that just doesn't seem consistent with our experience of the clientele in our restaurant. And so a lot of times just um, the type of person who responds is going to have a different experience or different characteristics than the person who doesn't respond. So all of the people who had a, an average experience are not responding. 
And so they're not included in the study. So again, an important thing is look at, look at the non-response rate. Um, another one would be um, just purely by the way the question is worded would, would put bias into the data. Um, so a, a question in, in one of the Gallup uh, polls would be, um, do you support gay marriage? And that will sort of generate a, a certain type of uh, response, whereas if you ask the question, do you think the government should restrict same-sex partners from getting married? So both of them are, are asking about the same issue, same-sex marriage. What, um, what do you think would be the, the differences in outcomes um, depending on which question we, choose to, we chose to use? Okay. Okay. So, um, so in a sense, what you know, someone could take either of these questions and do a study, and um, if if they did this one, they're probably going to end up saying fewer people um, are in favor of Amendment One. Um, Amendment One is is the I don't know if it's in favor or opposed, but basically is for same-sex marriage. And whereas if you do this one, if you ask this question, which is, it seems it's fairly close. Question. What? It's almost the same question. I mean, it seems more respectful. Uh-huh. I mean, most people are going to answer that question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so and, and I guess kind of, uh, did you have a question or a point? Uh-huh. Yeah. So if you voted against Amendment One, um, you could you could um, answer yes. Oh wait, let's see. Well, that should be should not restrict. But um, basically, you could answer the same way to these these questions. And sort of the, the idea is that um, if someone does a report and says, well, we surveyed people in Durham about, um, about same-sex marriage, and 20% uh, said we're in favor of it. Um, but then another study asked this question, and they came out with the result that 50% uh, were, were in favor of it. And so the idea is like looking at the question that was asked versus like, okay, well, they said the number of fortunate people in favor of same-sex marriage is this. You say, well, what did you ask them? And so that would really affect. And so people can, can kind of, they can do the right statistics and do the random sampling and do all the right things, but it's also good to look at the actual questions that were asked. Uh, another one would be, uh, the context in which the survey happens. Um, so here's, here's one that, that comes up a lot that people didn't really pick up on until they started uh, analyzing it. So here's the scenario. A black interviewer asking a white respondent um, survey questions related to racism. So in what ways could um, this context um, skew or bias the response? Yeah, so he wouldn't necessarily be completely forthright, um, and, and really, this is amazing. They've done these these studies where if they switch this and put a black uh, a white interviewer asking a white respondent, 
um, they get very different results. And so you might think, you might not even think to ask, well, who interviewed the person? Um, so, so again, there's, there's subtle things that, that again, almost um, unbeknownst to us seep into it. Because people have been doing these studies all the time, and they hire interviewers, and they just send them out to, to do the surveys, um, and not even really thinking about how the actual interviewer, the person asking the questions, could affect um, the data that they're collecting. Um, another one would be asking questions about sensitive information that the respondent might not want to publicly disclose. And so um, with, uh, with the general uh, social survey, they have questions about sexual activity and stuff. And so they have an interviewer who's asking them the questions, but when they get to these sensitive questions, what they do is they have the respondent um, enter it onto a computer anonymously. And so rather than having the interviewer ask how many sexual partners you've had in, in the last year, um, they just say, okay, this is the, um, the, the part of the survey where I give you the computer and you just answer, you just enter it in. And so they don't have to worry about the person sort of um, withholding information because they're, they're awkward about the interviewer being there. Um, but again, that's not even completely um, foolproof because the person would be like, I'm not gonna put this information in a computer. What are they gonna do with it or so? Uh, another one that, that comes up, and again, these are all sort of forms of bias in the data. So we've already collected a random sample of people, but now we're gathering data from them, and we want to make sure it's, um, it's, we're getting accurate responses. Um, so this is an interesting one. So if you ask the question, in the last year, how many times have you attended a religious service? Um, you know, if you ask me, uh, I mean, we go to church, but I you know, in the last year, how do I count that up? Like, I mean, that's just, that's just a really uh, difficult thing to sort of land on, on an accurate number. And so another way to ask the question is, um, in the last year, how often did you attend a religious service? And I'd be oh, uh, let's see, once a week, once a month, one to two times, never. Uh, once a month, about once a month. And so that gives sort of, uh, it's a better way to ask the question to get more accurate responses. It's not as precise, but it's, it's, it's going to be less, um, less difficult on the brain to figure that out. You can just sort of look at it and be like, oh yeah, we go about once a month. Um, so here's another one. Uh, how old were you when your first child was born? So it's like, uh, I, don't, I don't know, like, what did you say? Hey, look at that, man! Timothy's on it. <laughs> exactly. So, in what year was your first child born? Now, believe it or not, this one's even hard. I don't know. You can't remember your child. Well, no. We're, I we're feel just. Like once they get older, though, like once kids get older, twenty, thirty, you get really back with kids. Like if your kid's like four or five, you're gonna know. Them. Yeah. So, well, and another way is, um, how old is your first child? So. So this is interesting because you're like, well, how does that let you know um, how old you were when your first child was born? Well, you're going to have when this person was born, and you're going to have the year in which the survey was done. And if you ask how old was your first child, or how old is your child, you say, oh, he's 24 years old. Then you can, we can do the math and figure it out. So, and this is just a simple example, but there's some really elaborate things that they do that make it easy on the respondent to give sort of a quick, accurate answer 
and then we go and do the work to sort of get the information that we want. So, but the whole idea is, if we're asking someone questions that are complicated or sort of make them do mental gymnastics, there's a higher likelihood of them making an error in their response and us getting inaccurate information. So all this kind of goes back to, um, there might be a variable that you're interested in. And you're like, oh, great, I have a variable on, on crime. Um, but it's important to look at what's the question behind that variable, what's the context in which it was asked, and what are the potential sort of problems with this question. Um, and the last one would be uh, social desirability. Um, so if I asked uh, this class, I, you're in my survey, and I say, um, in the last year, have you cheated on any academic assignment or exams? Please answer. <laughs> I'm probably not going to get um, the, 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 the correct response. I'm going to get the response that you think I want to hear. Um, and so, and this is, this is a common thing. I mean, um, uh, another one would be, how many hours a week do you study? You know, it, if, um, if your uh, friends ask you, you'll give one type of response. But if your instructor asks you, you're going to give another type of response. Same person, same world, uh, but because of uh, the desire to sort of have a, a socially desirable response um, is going to skew, skew the answer. So again, um, look at the question, look at who is asking the question, what's the context um, for that. Um, so yes, there's, there's tons of, of bias. It's almost impossible to eliminate bias, but um, I guess the, the, the important thing is, is to be able to identify it and then to account for it. And so um, in, in one way of accounting for it is simply uh, being forthright about it. Say, um, you know, in the ideal world, we would have done this, but because of limitations, we had to ask the question this way. And so it could be biased in this direction, and so just be aware of that. And, and I think if you do that, then people will, will give you grace and not be as critical. But if you try and cover it up or try and be sneaky about it, and then people fish it out, they'll be like, well, why are you trying to hide it? You know, so, so it's okay. There is going to be bias uh, in, in some form, and, you sh and you'll, you'll demonstrate that you're a sharp student or researcher if you say, hey, I'm aware of this bias. So sort of almost you anticipate their criticisms, and you say, yeah, in an ideal world, we wouldn't have any bias, but there is this bias, and here's what it is. Um, and so our, our answers might be skewed slightly in one direction or another. Um, let's see, okay. Hey, we're, we're getting towards the end. Um, this is uh, the assignment, so, and I'll, I'll post this stuff um, on, online as well. But um, uh, it's the problems, and then I'm going to spend uh, the last like five minutes or whatever um, going through um, this part two. And so um, uh, part two is, this is sort of like the parts of the assignment that are going to involve building towards your final research project. And as I mentioned, um, we're going to be using the general social survey. And so this is going to be sort of your, your first attempt at um, beginning to explore this data and, um, and going through and, and um, pulling out variables that you're going to use for your research. Um, and so what I, what I want you to begin thinking about is um, you can sort of pick any topic you want to study um, any type of questions uh, 
sociological questions that you're interested in, and, um, and then we're going to use the general social survey as um, the place where you're going to get the data from. And so I'm going to walk you guys through that so you can kind of see. So, so I just clicked on the link in, in the PowerPoint, and so you guys can, can pull that up. Um, but basically what this has is um, this is the interface for gathering the data. And also, um, are all you guys meeting with the tutors? Is anyone not meeting with the tutors? Okay, good. So th they know this, and so they can they can help you navigate it. Um, uh, but basically, I'm going to give you a, a quick um, tutorial on it. So let's see. On okay, so along here is all the different variables that were asked, and so um, so the first one would be um, right here is respondent background variables. So the respondent is, is the case, the, the person that's, that's being interviewed. And so, um, so let's say we want to know about what are all the variables related to um, age, gender, race, and ethnicity. And so if we go here, we click on that, and it says age, it's age of respondent. And then you go up here, so I'll put it right in there. You go up here and you click view. Let's see, okay, so it, um, it pulls up this. So it gives you a description of the variable, which is basically respondent's age, and then you can kind of look at this and say, okay, the, the, the values range from age 18 to, what do you think it goes up to? What's the oldest person in this study, do you think? 113. 113, let's see. Oh, well, so they cut it off. 89 or older. So they, they kind of say if you're, if you're over 89, you're probably similar enough to other people who are over 89. So, um, but basically, this, this gives you a sense of, okay, the variable age. There's no one under 18 uh, in this sample or in this study. And so um, then let's see if we go back over here. Um, so let's say, what are the variables related to education? So let's say we want to, this one is called father's uh, highest degree. And, and the variable name is P-A-D-E-G, which is uh, paternal Let's see, I think that, yeah, it's probably paternal degree, or it's like, you know, every variable name has sort of like a compressed thing. But that's important to know the variable name, because I'll ask you, what variables are you using? And so you can't just say the education one. You have to say P-A-D-E-G, which is um, father's highest degree. And so we say, well, what does that variable tell us? And let's see. It says, okay, this question was, um, if you finished ninth through twelfth grade, um, did he ever get a high school degree or a, a GED certificate? So that's interesting. Um, I don't know why that does that. That looks like it's actually a problem. But basically, it lists out: um, Does the person have less than a high school degree? Do they have a high school degree, junior college, bachelor degree, or graduate degree? And so 
that would let you know father's education um, of the person who's in the study. Um, so let's see. Other ones that they have in here are uh, personal and family information. Um, so you have questions about marital status, um, family composition, so like if you're interested in the number of brothers or sisters, number of children they have. Um, hey, look at that. Age when first child was born. Let's see how they asked the question. How old were you when your first child was born? So they asked a question that makes it a little bit difficult. Um, but basically then you can see um, what do you what do you notice about this? this? So the question is, how old were you when your first child was born? What do you notice about um, this data that stands out to you as peculiar? A lot of them are younger ages. Uh huh. Almost like they said how old their first child was. Ah, yeah. So there there could be. It's kind of like someone answered nine. So. Then you have to sort of decide. Okay, now it's only it's one out of how many how many people are uh, total in this fifty five thousand people. So you might have to say, you know, um, this seems this just seems strange. I want to go. Wait, one thing you can do is say, I want to go look at this 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 person's entire responses and kind of see if they have a lot of messed up weird answers. And you might decide, you know. Um, for, for a number of reasons, we need to drop this person from our study because they're going to throw off all of our data. Um, so it, it's important to kind of look at, you know, does this, does this stuff make sense? Um, so uh, what do you notice, like where, where, what, um, what age range? Okay, so uh, a bulk of the people uh, have their first child uh, between the ages of 18 and, and 25. Um, now there's, it, it spreads out. Let's see if we go down here. Age of first child, look at this. One person was 65. So, you know, I mean, th and that's, that's under, that, that can, you sort of assume it's valid unless you go in and investigate and kind of see, okay, it looks like, you know, there was a, some, some reasonable uh, reason to think this is an invalid or inaccurate response. Um, so uh, what you guys are going to be doing is basically going through th these variables. Um, there's also demographic variables, um, like, okay, what part of the country do they live in? Um, occupation, oh, here's some interesting stuff. Personal concerns, um, so here's like race issues. Um, race mar. Let's look at that. So this one is, do you think there should be laws against marriages between um, African Americans and whites? And so this is a question that's, that's asked. And, and so if you, if you wanted to do a study on, on racial attitudes in the U.S., this would probably be a, a good one uh, to use. So. So there's tons of questions about sort of uh, the, the demographic makeup, like your family, your race, your, um, your age, and things like that. And then there's things about 
um, occupation, education, and then things about your attitudes and beliefs. And so what I, for, this, for this assignment, what I basically want you to do is find um, uh, 10 variables, uh, provide the variable name, that's that sort of compressed name, and then uh, the question associated with the variable. And I, don't, I want you to pick from different sections, so don't just go into the one that says education, say your education, father's education, mother's education, and, and how many years of schooling do you have? You know, like pick from, from 10 different areas so that you can get a sense of what data is available. Um, and then at the beginning of class tomorrow, I'm going to ask you, hey, tell me your most interesting variable. What? Oh, that's right, yeah, we won't be here. You can be here if you want, but. So um, any questions about part two? Very good, we're all done.